0: Time is a surprisingly complicated subject, and uh, it's weird to think about this, but ever since the ancient Greeks tried to figure out why time seemed to move so fast and and why they could never step in the same river twice, people have been debating about the topic of time ever since. Uh, Thomas Mann, a famous German author, said it pretty well. He said, what is time? It is a secret, lacking in substance, and yet almighty. But in case you might see, this is a kind of modern philosophical dilemma that, that is going to put you asleep or bore you. It seems that uh, the church has, has thought this way in its history, too. If you go back to Augustine, who was one of the, the patriarchs of the faith of Christianity, you would see that he had the same thoughts about time. About time. He said uh, this, what then is time? I know well enough what it is, provided that nobody asks me. But if I am asked what it is and try to explain, I am baffled. But for most of us, the philosophical idea of time is not really important to us, right? Time for most of us is just about being certain places on time, doing the right things, and the question of when someday we are going to pass. But I think that if we are going to uh, look at time and understand time the way that, that God would have us understand time, then we need to go back to the beginning. In the very beginning of the Bible, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, and gives us some other details, but the important thing to know is that God created, and in that he created a man and a woman, and their names were Adam and Eve. Now, time may have existed outside of this planet and the people that live here, but for us, time started, really, in essence, when Adam and Eve were created. God created them, and and our time began, the earth's time began, and he placed them into this garden that was perfect. But in the middle of the garden, he placed a tree, and he told these people not to eat, Adam and Eve, from this tree. Now this, of course, begs a question, I mean, why did God put it there, right, if he didn't want them to eat from it? And the answer is pretty simple, Uh, God wants us to love him freely. And God loves us, and so he has given us free choice. If he wouldn't have given Adam and Eve a tree, then they would have had no ability to turn away from God, no ability to not love God, and they would have been nothing more than righteous robots who were forever going to worship God the way that he desired them to worship him. And so God puts this tree in the middle of the garden and says, don't eat from it because he loved them enough to give them the choice as to whether or not they were going to love him back. Well, what happens, you might know the story, but you can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we read this, starting verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, so the Lord God, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. See, in this moment, the first sin was committed, the first wrongdoing against God. When you read the rest of the Bible, you see that this wrongdoing had a result. And you can read that in Romans 5.12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way death came to all men because all sinned. And so the Bible tells us that after Adam and Eve sinned, every person after them has also sinned. And therefore, every person after them has been bound for the death that awaits us as human beings. It's pretty interesting because right after this takes place, you see the very first death. If you were just to flip one more chapter, chapter four in Genesis, not very far away. Genesis 4, 8 says this. Now, Cain, who was one of Adam and Eve's sons, said to his brother Abel, who was their other son, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. And so we see that Adam and Eve choose to do something that God doesn't want them to do. They choose to sin, and immediately this thing called death enters into the world. When death entered into the world, what happened is that people's view of time started to, in some ways rightly so, be shorter. You can look at the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, you see examples of how the Jewish people, who were the people that God was ministering to and talking to, were very focused on this life and what happened in the short 70 or so years that they were to live. If you went over to Psalms 144, 3 and 4, you would see David, who is a hero of the Jewish faith and one of the key figures in the Israelite history. He says this, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath their days are like a fleeting shadow. He says people's lives, time is so short. Why is it that you even care about us? Solomon, David's son, was even mightier and richer than his dad. And, and he had total peace in his kingdom when he was reigning. And so he had lots of extra time on his hands. And this is what people do when they have extra time on their hands. He says, hey, what am I going to do? Well, I'll figure out the meaning of life. I got all this time and all this money, so let's just, you know, spend a few years trying to figure out why we're here and what we should be doing. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he kind of explains this to us, why he went on this endeavor. He says, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. He says, I wanted to know what we were supposed to do with the very short amount of time that we have been given on this earth. And so he goes out and he, he tries education and he tries pleasure and he tries riches and he tries uh, music and he tries philosophy and he tries gaining status and he tries sex. And, and, and in all of it, he, he says it's all meaningless. Now, we, we may have heard that before. Uh, Ecclesiastes is one of the most quoted books in all the Bible. Uh, and, and we've heard that phrase, it's meaningless before, right? But what we sometimes forget is the reason that he gives, gives for that meaninglessness. He says it's because life is short and I can gain all of this wealth, but then somebody else is going to get it when I die in just a few years and I can gain all of this wisdom and have this great education. But when I go, that's all gone. And if I if I have a great farm, he even says, then one day that's going to die and I'm going to die and it won't even matter. And so Solomon, the Bible tells us one of the wisest men ever to live, looks At the time that he has on this earth, and he sees it as short, and he says, look, everything, everything I can possibly do is meaningless. It has no good results. If you continue to move through the story kind of in the Old Testament, and you follow it along with the people that it talks about, you see that this theme carries them all the way into the New Testament. And it's so strong in their minds that it actually draws them to to start to sin more and more against God. Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, wrote one of the books there. He's talking about the sins of the Israelite people. And he's talking about how they are going to be punished by God. And In the midst of this section, he he quotes the people as saying this, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He looks at them and he says, look, you people don't care about the lives you live if you're following the commands of God, if you're doing what God wants you to do. You don't care about anything except making yourself feel good because you're recognizing that your lives are short and so you're saying, let's have a good time now because soon enough it will be over and all of this is meaningless. This is how the people see it. But at the same time, there's something else going on. Well, God is saying, hey, I'm going to punish you because you're recognizing the shortness of life and and therefore you're not doing anything that I'm saying. You're completely turning your back on me. God, God is telling them that and he's saying, hey, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to bring famine on your land. I'm going to allow other people to take you captive. I'm going to bring destruction to you. But he says, I promise it will not be total destruction. Instead, I promise that I will send a king to sit on David's throne who will set things right and be your Savior. He will take away your hunger and your your torment and the affliction that you will suffer at the hands of other people. And so the people, in their short-term mindset, they start to look forward to this, this eternal King, but they can't see eternity. All they see is the 70 years of their life, and so they are looking for a person who is going to sit on a throne, for 70 or so years, and rule the Jewish people here on this earth. They believed that this man, the Messiah, as they call him, will come, and he will set things right by kicking out the Roman government, and by giving the Israelite people the land that God had given them, and was rightfully theirs, thousands of years earlier. But then Jesus shows up. Not what they were expecting at all. He was born in a stable, you know that from Christmas, wrong holiday, right? Uh, he was born to low income parents. The majority of people around him thought that his parents had birthed him out of wedlock, that that they had committed fornication. And that is why Jesus had had become conceived. Uh, Jesus was a normal guy in every single way, nothing like they were looking for, except for the fact that he was completely and utterly without sin. So if you know the story, Jesus lives for about 30 years, lives 30 years. And he grows up kind of like we grow up. He's doing regular work. He's going to school and he's learning the Bible. And God is preparing his heart to do ministry. And after 30 years, Jesus starts his ministry. He does this ministry for about three years. It's a it's a big part of the Bible. You can read it later. We don't have time to talk about all of it. But but he does this ministry for three years. And and after three years, He's ready to declare himself the king that they were looking forward to. He gets on a donkey on a day we celebrate his Palm Sunday, and he marches into Jerusalem as the people are laying down their coats and their palm leaves, and they're crying out to him, You are the one, the king, who is coming to save us. And they're absolutely ready to put him on a throne and to go to war with him against the Roman army. The fact that they are out there chanting and and screaming and having this party says, we don't care what those Romans think because our king is here. He is here to set things right. But they can't see past the 70 years of their life. Time is this very short thing for them. And so they want him to kick the Romans out. But Jesus knew something that these people didn't know. Jesus knew something about time that the Jewish people did not understand. He had come from heaven, the Bible tells us, as the Son of God. And so he had seen this picture of eternity. And he understood that time was more than a 70 years on earth. And so he said, I can't go and start a military revolution because while that may make your life better for 70 years, it won't won't fulfill the ultimate good of giving you a great eternity which I have seen. And so instead of starting this insurrection against the Roman government, instead of that, Jesus allows himself to be arrested by the other religious leaders of the time who hated Jesus because they were scared that he was going to take their power and they were jealous of him and they were even embarrassed by him when they were wrong and he was right. They come to him one night and they're about to arrest him and one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy named Peter, cuts off the guard's ear. He says, no, you can't take this guy because we're about to start a war. But Jesus knows that that's not his mission. He realizes that it's not about this 70 years. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, put your sword away. He heals the guard's ear and he allows for himself to be led away and arrested. He sticks to his mission. People arrest him and that same night... They put him on trial. It was illegal, but they did it anyway. And they, they begin to mock him. They slap him in the face. They mock him some more. They accuse him falsely of things that he did not do. As, as the night went on and it crept into mourning, they took him to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman uh, official, and they said, hey, you need to try this guy and you need to kill him. Pilate said, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with him, but I'll have him scourged. And he sent Jesus to be scourged. If you're not familiar with that term, it's like getting whipped, but with metal pieces in the whip and actually bones that have been uh, cracked so that, that it creates this very sharp weapon. And so they scourge Jesus and his back is bleeding and bone may have even been exposed. And, they, and then he's brought back to Pilate. And Pilate says, I still don't see a reason to crucify this guy. But the people say to Pilate, hey, Pilate. If you don't crucify this guy, then you are not a friend of your own leader, the Roman government, and you are the one who is starting the insurrection. And Pilate gets scared, and so he says, okay, just crucify him, but I'll wash my hands of it. They lead Jesus, and, and the Roman uh, guards, uh, not very nice people at all, if you know anything about the Romans back then, they don't just want to crucify Jesus, they want to torture Jesus. And, and so they begin to beat Jesus. They beat him over and over and over again, and they place a crown of thorns on his head that would have gone deep into his skull, and and he's bleeding everywhere. They put a cross on his back, and they they make him walk that cross to a, a hill where he is to be crucified, and they nail him to that cross. And then he died on that cross. You may be familiar with this, but but the Bible tells us that the reason that Jesus died, that he that he was willing to suffer all of that is to take away your sins. You are a sinner and Jesus willingly put himself on that cross at the hands of the Roman government so that your sins could be paid for because he had never sinned before. And so he pays this punishment for our sins and they put him in a grave, but there was still a problem. It was still a problem. Death still was was in charge. And the disciples, they understood some things about Jesus. He had told them about this idea of dying for their sins. But their reaction is amazing. Because what they do is they go back to their real lives and they start to wonder, what is it that we are going to do next to make the next 70 years, my short time on this earth, better? What can I do just to continue on with this short life and and forget these last three years that, that I gave up for this Jesus guy and get on with it and fulfill myself now? But then, on the third day, everything changed. We read the story in Luke 24, 1 through 6. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman risen. Jesus rises from the dead and you say, well, I understand that his death paid for my sins, but but what was the purpose of this resurrection? Why did it have to happen? Paul begins to answer that in first Corinthians. You can see it uh, in in verse 15, starting in, in 12. But if Christ is preached, excuse me, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all are to be pitied. He continues this theme, and if you were to skip down to verses 50, you see uh, an even further explanation of why Jesus needed to rise. He says this, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in the flash In in a flash, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory?" Jesus conquered death, and therefore, He expanded the people's view of time. He made it so that it was no longer about these 70 years that we live on this planet, but now it was for all of eternity. He said now, instead of 70 years on this okay kind of earth, you can have eternity in perfection where there is no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt, no more difficulties. But he didn't say everybody was going to get it. He said that we had a choice. He said that if we wanted this eternal life, if we wanted perfection in heaven, if we wanted to live for something more than this measly 70 years that we have been given in these earthly bodies, then we must decide to first of all believe that Jesus did die and rise again to take away you and I's sins. But second of all, give our lives to him. Jesus' death conquered our sin, and his resurrection conquered death. And, and, and it's an amazing thing, but he says, you must choose. You must choose to believe that and give your life to me if that is what you want to look forward to. But there's a problem. Many of us are like the Jewish people that we read of in the Old Testament. We still have this this frame of reference for time that is short. It's the 70 or so years that we will be here on this earth. And so it prevents us from making the decision to live for God. I just I just want to give you an example here, and hopefully this will clarify what we're talking about. Uh, this orange thing right here represents your life, okay? This is your life. This is the 70 years that, that God has given you on, on this planet right here. And, and this all of this represents eternity. It's a little tangled. It's not that bad in heaven, I promise. But uh, but this, this represents eternity. A- and we can keep on going forever and ever. But what many people do, even some people who call themselves Christians, is that they say, hey, this is so important. I- I'm going to make all of my decisions in this life based on this right here, this small thing. But God is saying, in, in my resurrection... When I rose again from the dead, it stopped being uh, about that 70 years and it started to be about this. And you can have this forevermore in total perfection. Some people say, you know, (laughs) I I would like to give my life to Jesus. That sounds fun. But but there's so much to do in this 70 years right here. I mean, I want to have fun. And I know that Christian people, you know, they, they try to do certain things and avoid certain things and. And I want to have that fun, I don't want to be a boring guy, and I want people to think I'm cool, and, and, and so you know what, I, I won't give my life to Jesus, but but the focus is here, you understand that the focus is here, and Jesus' resurrection made it about all of this, and, and to, to make that decision based on having a good time here, it is ludicrous, I think that we can see that. Other people say, well, man, I see the bad stuff that goes on during my 70 years in this life, and... And, you know, how can I want to serve a loving God who allows bad things to happen during this time frame right here? But God God looks at us and says, well, my resurrection made it possible for every single person to to have eternity and perfection. And, And I don't think you should judge God's plan based on this measly little amount of time when God's plan is ultimately all of this in eternity. And he's looking at the people, even those suffering horribly, some of you probably, and saying, hey, it's just this. But if you will give your life to me, then you can have all of this in eternal perfection. And then maybe even, even the craziest thing is, is that some people look at this and they, and they say, well, i got time. I mean, i, I, I got so much time. Maybe someday I'll, I'll give my life to Jesus, but, but look how much time I have. God's looking at us and saying, you don't have that much time. In light of eternity, you don't have that much time, and, and, and so you need to make a decision now on whether or not you want eternal perfection, or if you just want eternal death. So I look at you today, and my, my real question is, is, when you look at the resurrection and you see how Jesus conquered, conquered death, he made it obsolete, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, my question for you is, are you going to continue to make your decision based on, on this 70 or so years that you have been given, or are you going to look at this eternity and say, man, that's a lot longer, that's a lot longer and Jesus made it possible for me to have moral uh, to have perfection forever and eternity and, and so i'm going to make my decision not based on this not this little this little teeny thing that is your life it's like a fleeting shadow it's like the wind it's just gone in an instant but i'm going to make my decision about Jesus and believing in him and, and, and eternity and and what i'm going to decide to do with my life based on on this this thing that is going to last forever and ever and ever. Jesus looks at us in our lives and he says, "Hey, death is going to come, but the truth is, if you will believe that I gave my life for your sins in place of you, and if you will believe that I rose again to conquer death, then instead of death being the end, death can be the moment when you rise again in eternal glory. Death can be the moment when you rise for the first time really in your life, your eyes open, and you all of a sudden get you get that this just really wasn't that big a deal because Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and what he did for us when he got out of that tomb gave us eternal perfection and happiness. And so I look at all of you. I even look at myself and my daily decisions and say, man, are you going to make your decisions, especially your decision about Jesus, based on this measly little time frame, or are you going to make it based on eternity, which Jesus offered through his resurrection. I'm going to pray, and the band is going to come up, and I just pray you continue to think about that as they as they lead us in this song. Lord, I thank you for coming here, God, to die for our sins. And God, I thank you for bringing Jesus out of the grave so that, God, our our lives no longer had to be lived in light of In light of a short time frame like the 70 years we have here, God, or so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, every single one of them, God, that they would give their lives to you if they have not, realizing that that is the only way that they can rise again with you in glory. That is the only way that that this measly 70 years can matter is if they decide, God, to give everything to you now. And I pray that they would make that decision even this Easter 2012, Lord. Pray for those of us who do know you, God. And I pray we would stop being so short-sighted, God. I mean, some days I wake up and it seems like everything here is, is just such a big deal. You know, things hurt and things are, are hard and they're scary and I'm stressed out about, about what I need to get done next, Lord. But, but let me wake up every day and let the people here who call themselves Christians wake up every day, God, and and say, what do I need to do today that will matter in eternity? It will matter far beyond that little orange line and will matter forever and ever and ever. Lord, I thank you that you gave your life for us, God. That's pretty awesome. But I'm so excited that you got out of the grave and you offered me something more than this. It's really just kind of pathetic life, God. I mean, it's there's, there's sin and there's hurt and there's pain all around me, God. I I look out at these people here in this church, and I I know the hurt and the pain, but you offered us, God, when you rose from that grave, something greater than this. And I thank you so much for that, God. I'm really genuinely excited about that. I thank you, God, that someday, if we will believe in you and give our lives to you, that we can rise in eternal glory with you, our Savior. And I pray these things because of that gift. Amen. ash may fail as an egg